0: You're listening to the sermon podcast of Mountain View Church. Whether you're here catching up on last week's message or digging through a past series, we're so grateful you've tuned in today. Our prayer is the next 30 to 40 minutes helps you become a more whole follower of Jesus. If you're local and would like to join us, we'd love to see you this Sunday. For those who can't make it in person, services are also streamed on Facebook and YouTube. All the information about service times, what we have for kids, and much more can be found on our website, almsville.church. Now, let's open our hearts and minds to today's message. Anyway, I hope you're doing all right today. Mike, Pastor Mike, is uh, Reverend Mike, of course, is in Ohio now. He's preaching. I saw a picture of him on this big, giant stage, so he must be being important today. And anyway, I want to welcome you here today. I want to welcome those online. If you're here today, thank you so much for tuning in. And uh, it's great to be here. I'm really excited about this. Now, uh, circumstances and, of course, Murphy's Law, as we all know, kind of put the kibosh on our conference trip a couple of weeks ago. I don't know if you knew about this. Uh, A bunch of us went to conference in South Dakota, Rapid City, South Dakota. And uh, as usual, there was a delay, cancellations, plenty of that stuff going on. So we uh, we got to Denver, all right, and then about six hours to Rapid City. Well, that flight was canceled. And so it's the evening time, and we're trying to scramble to figure out how we're going to get there because, you know, not only do we have to be at conference in the morning, but we got to get Betsy to her ordination service that night, right? So it was uh, it was kind of crazy, and we figured out how to get uh, up there, but Cassie and Mike were already there. Uh, they drove down halfway. Somebody else drove us halfway. We met 3.45 in the morning. We roll in to Rapid City. So we're tired, exhausted, got to go to the conference in the morning. Then we're excited to get home, and uh, what happens? Rapid City to Denver canceled. Spend an extra night in Rapid City, get up in the morning, canceled again, right? Had breakfast, rented a car, drove six hours, back to Denver, got home. Nightmare, all right? So, within that trip, we had planes, all right? We had automobiles, okay? Planes, automobiles. Planes, automobiles, planes, trains, and automobiles. We had it all, folks. Planes, trains, and automobiles. I just wanted you to know that. Okay? You don't have to watch the movie. Just talk to us about details. It was just like the movie. All right? I just want you to be aware of that. So that was our trip, and it couldn't have gone not better, (laughs) or whatever. Uh, But anyway, it is a pleasure to be here this morning, and these pictures here that we showed, they they tell a story. We can look back on this and laugh now, Uh, but these pictures tell the story, right? And there's nothing like a picture that says a thousand words, isn't that right? And we're going to talk about King David today. We're going to revisit this David thing. And when I look at David, David's life was a picture, all right? It was a reflection of what it means to, have, to be really, really good friends with God, all right? Speaking of pictures, I had to bring this. So, what do you think this is, other than a photo album? This, my friends, is called Scrapbooking. Brenda had, this is one of them, hundreds of pages. Six of these, okay? She's got six of these things. Hours and hours of intense labor, making these memories, right? that we can look back on. And uh, very special, very, very special. Couldn't, couldn't, uh, couldn't talk about pictures without talking about the scrapbook. How many of you have ever scrapbooked before? If you're over 50, you've probably scrapbooked at some point, All right, That was what you did back then, all right? You had to, you had to doctor up the pictures. They're not good enough by themselves. Gotta make them look great. All right. Now, talk about pictures. I got like 15,000 pictures on my phone, going all the way back to when I was a baby. All my kids, all of our life, right here in the cloud. All right. Preserved forever and ever. All right. And so, years ago, Brenda's dad from New York came out with her oldest sister. And we had digital cameras back then, didn't have camera phones. Well, there were cameras on the phones but they weren't that good. So we had digital cameras. And in nine days time, at the end of the trip, we had counted up our pictures, 2,100 pictures, okay? We did the math and figured if if we had to buy this film and develop it, it would have been like 800 bucks. It was just some ridiculous amount. And uh, we had all these pictures all right, every single picture had a story. Wrong. There were so many meaningless pictures. <laughs> meaningless. I mean, when you have 21 pictures, not every picture is meaningful. A lot of them are just meaningless pictures. Okay? We took so many meaningless pictures. There's nothing, though, nothing better than a meaningful picture. Okay? And do you know who has meaningful pictures? Grandparents. Grandparents have meaningful pictures. You ever talk to a grandparent about their photos? Every photo has a story. What's this, Grandma? Here is a picture of your great-great-grandfather standing beside Charles Limburg before he flew across the... Atlantic, first ever transatlantic flight in history. Wow, that's quite a story, right? I mean, imagine what, what it's gonna be like to talk to grandparents 50 years from now. What are those stories gonna be like, huh? Hey, Grandma, what's this? This is a picture of my breakfast. Here are some shoes I once thought about buying. Here's the wing of a plane. Here's the weather forecast. Here is a picture of your great-grandmother staring at herself in the bathroom mirror. And here are 12 more of that exact same photo. Or what if we had photos, imagine this, what if we had photos back in the Bible days? Wouldn't that be great? We had photos back in the Bible days. Are we stuck in the same place as last service? No, we didn't. Hey, check this out. Imagine if they had selfies back in the Bible days, you'd have Jesus and his disciples, right? Or how about this one? Daniel eating his veggies. Moses in the burning bush. Or maybe even Moses at the Red Sea. Wouldn't that be great? Noah gathering the animals. And here's my favorite, the prodigal son. All of these pictures would have a story. They all have a story. They're all wonderful. Well, last week, Pastor Dane shared a picture, a snapshot, of the story of David and Goliath. Okay? And so we're going to revisit David today, but we're not going to go to the battle scene not so much. We're not going to talk about the battle as much as we're going to talk about the qualities of a man after God's own heart. Okay? And this is, what it goes, this is how it goes in 2 Samuel 7, 8. It goes, I took you from the pasture, tagging along after sheep, and made you prince over my people Israel. In other words, how did David go from pasture to prince? How did he go from pasture to the palace? We're gonna talk about the day, that today. So before Israel had a king it has a series of tribal leaders called judges. We know one of the famous ones, Samson, he was a judge. And it says in Judges 2.16, then the Lord raised up judges to rescue their Israelites from the attackers. After the Israelites settled in the Promised Land, they would rebel, then the enemies would oppress them, then they would cry out to God for help, and then he would send the judge, and they would rescue him them. And this would go on and on, and this vicious cycle would just go around and around and around. And for 400 years, God provided judges. Until one day, the Israelites looked around, and they saw that everybody around them had a king. And so they said, we want to have a king. And God said, you don't need a king. I'm your king. And they said, no, we want to have a king. And so he gave them a king. And Saul became their first king. And basically what happened was that he, things had begun to go good at the beginning. Okay? But as... His time went on, he began to lose sight of God and began to do things on his own and be disobedient to God. And so the prophet Samuel had to come along and he had to basically anoint a new king for Israel. And so the prophet Samuel one day rolls into Bethlehem. Okay, tiny little village village. Of Bethlehem. That's like the late, great Billy Graham coming to Almsville. That's like the leading evangelist of our world coming to Almsville to select the new leading evangelist. All right, that's how far fetched this is. He shows up in Bethlehem. Can you imagine what that must have been like, getting that house ready for his visit? I mean, Jesse and his wife have eight boys. Do you think that place was presentable at all times? No. Jesse's wife is snapping orders like there's no tomorrow. All right? We got to get this place ready. And so he shows up, and... By the way, does anybody know David's mom's name? Why, Why don't we know her name? Have you heard her name? I think she's kind of important. We should know her name. Well, her name is Nitzavet. How do you like that for a name? You want to name your daughter Nitzavet? It's probably why they didn't share the name in the first place. That's okay. They wouldn't have shared my grandma's name either. You know what my grandma's name was? Borgold. How'd you like to have that in junior high? A good Scandinavian name. She was a Viking, right? Borgold, Not so much. I don't think you. I don't think anybody would survive junior high and high school with that name. But it's that's and that's okay anyway. So Jesse's seven sons right, are standing there in a row and Samuel's going, nope, 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 nope. I thought there was eight. Well, there is another one outside. Well, giddy up. (laughs) Bring them in. I don't know how that went down, but I can imagine, you know, it was probably like one of the brothers, like, go out and find David in the field. He's out in the field somewhere. And you know, the, Dave, the, the brothers are already ticked off. They didn't get chosen. So what do you think they're going to do? Hey, David! David! Right now, it goes, Sam wants to talk to you. Come in the house. And so he rolls in, and what do they do? They pour oil off his body, and the rest is history, right? And if it wasn't for the obedience of Samuel, we wouldn't even know David. We wouldn't have the Psalms. You wouldn't have the 23rd Psalm. You wouldn't have any Psalm. You wouldn't have the the city of David. We, We would have that. There would be a list. The list goes on and on. We wouldn't have any of this. And notice what Samuel said about him in 1 Samuel 13, 14. It goes like this. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him ruler of his people. How did a simple shepherd boy go from becoming a shepherd to a man man after God's own heart? Well, he had godly parents, good environment, healthy home. These, these for sure were major contributions. And, and there's really nothing that I can say in 30 minutes or less that would really do this any justice. We can't cover all the bases. Really, David's life would require like, like 10 messages. So I'm just going to give you like three things, all right, this morning that, I, that come to my mind. And we'll start with this one. Number one is that he loved God's word intensely. There's one thing that David loved, which God's word. There was something about God's word that really just got him up in the morning. He talked about it all the time. You just go through the Psalms, you'll see that. And look, in fact, in Psalm one nineteen. Verse 44 through 46 says, I will keep on obeying your instructions forever and ever. I will walk in freedom, for I have devoted myself to your commandments. I will speak to the kings about your laws. And I will not be ashamed. Three times there, he uses different words to describe God's word. Instructions, commandments, laws. They're all God's word. He'll use six total through the Psalms to describe God's word. He, he was in love with God's word. He wasn't ashamed of it. I'm sure he also learned a lot in the fields. That's where he spent most of his time, out in the fields, uh, and, and where he would spend time in the word, and where he would probably write music, and where he would sing songs and, and, and develop his gifts. He was the developing his love for God's word. And it's really, it's why he wrote the first psalm. I mean, think about the first psalm. Psalm 1, 1 and 2 goes, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. Listen to this. But whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. says a lot there. But God's word is something that you enjoy and spend time in. And that's what David was doing out in the fields. You want to compare him to King, to King Saul? There's no comparison. No comparison whatsoever. There's a big difference in the way their hearts were wired. When David made a mistake, he owned up to it. When Saul made a mistake, he blamed others. When Saul sinned, he didn't even care. When David sinned, he became repentant. And one day, David made the biggest mistake of his life. He had an affair with a neighbor named Bathsheba. Not only that, we had a husband killed on the front lines To cover up the pregnancy. And he sat back and when the prophet Nathan confronted him, something amazing happened. He wrote a psalm. We know it is Psalm 51. Notice what he says in verses 2 through 4. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin. For I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. Against you and you alone have I sinned. I have done evil. Or what is evil in your sight? Verse 10. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence. And don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey you. Yeah, all these verses, all these things that he said right there, and I see two things in these verses. And David shows us that when you do something wrong, when you blow it, when you mess up, two things should happen. The only response should be one, repentance, and two, restoration there's anything God wants from us when we step away from him and do something wrong is repent and to be restored. That's God's plan for our life. In fact, David would later write about how to avoid sin in the future. We find that in Psalm 119, verse 11. You've probably read this before. He goes, I have hidden your word in my heart. That I might not sin against you. David says. That there's a relationship. Between. The things that we think about. And how we behave. They go hand in hand. He's kind of being a psychologist. Right now as he writes. And he recognizes that there's a connection. Between. How we live, right? How we act, and what we think about. That's why he said, I meditate. I remember, I memorize your word so that I will not sin. He recognizes that there's a connection there. They go hand in hand. David was in love with God's word. And that should inspire us. Secondly, he took care of the little things that mattered. David took care of the little things that mattered. He definitely developed his strengths. He was musical, and so he learned how to play the harp. He he was coordinated. He learned how to use a slingshot. And music was a great way to pass the time. Probably did a lot of worshiping, a lot of worshiping of God. The slingshot helped him to defend sheep, right? And defending sheep mattered because, you know, you had to have the livestock. They they were valuable. So that mattered. But David, you know, he had to even kill a lion. He had to kill a bear, right? So that gift came in handy. David wasn't a pushover kind of like this guy here. Look, check that video out of this modern day shepherd who had a run in with a sheep. Check this out. Shepard wasn't having a good day, to say the least. You know, you've got David and Goliath. This is the sheep and the shepherd right there. That <laughs> sheep threw that rock, and he was out. I think he probably ruined his career with that last one. You know, I said him, "He's done." He went home after that. I don't think he's slaying any giants anytime soon. And that's the thing. He wasn't a giant killer. And neither was David. He wasn't a giant killer. He wasn't practicing the slingshot to kill any giants. He wasn't doing that at all. But the slingshot would be would make him a giant killer. And I want you to remember this. Here's one thing I want you to remember. Giant killers don't start off as giant killers. They don't. He didn't even start out with the king as a soldier. He was a musician. Saul was having mental problems, and somebody said, hey, I know somebody who can play. And so he just came along and just played music for Saul to help him out. Right? 1 Samuel 17, 15 says, but David went back and forth from Saul to tend his father's sheep at Bethlehem. So it wasn't even a full time gig. Sometimes he was a musician, and sometimes he was a shepherd. He'd play a little music for the king, shepherd a few sheep, going back and forth, doing these little things. He didn't start out as a giant killer, but he was being obedient. To the little things that mattered. And sometimes you might say to yourself, you know, I don't feel significant. I don't feel like I'm doing something that matters. I'm a little frustrated here because I don't feel like I matter. I don't feel like I'm doing important things. And that's okay. Hopefully you're doing what God wants you to do. And it may not feel significant, but it is because while you're doing these little things that may seem insignificant god is preparing you for the great battle does that make sense he's preparing us to go to war and while you're focused on the little things god is preparing you for the big things so don't don't feel frustrated because one day, Jesse sent David to the front lines to check on his brother. Take this food with you and go and bring back a report about your brothers. Oh, he was so excited. He can't wait to get out of there. Get away from the sheep. Notice what it says in 1 Samuel seventeen twenty. Early in the morning, David left the flock in the care of a shepherd, loaded up and set out as Jesse had directed. He's being a servant. He's being obedient in the small things. He had no problem doing what sometimes felt insignificant. Sometimes it didn't feel like it mattered. David took care of the little things that mattered. And I've heard a lot of sermons. I've I've heard too many sermons on David and Goliath. I've heard them all. But this one thing doesn't get talked about a whole lot. And so I want to bring it up. I want to mention it. And it's this final point, And that's this. That David saw the potential reward for defeating the giant. Now, he knew that the only thing that was going to get him through that battle was faith. All right. And God would use the gift that he developed out in the field with the slingshot. And so I want to look at a quote here from some French guy whose name I can't pronounce. We'll just call him Alfred. Alfred says this. The majority see the obstacles. The few see the objectives. History records the successes of the latter, while oblivion is the reward of the former. But look at that first part there. The majority see the obstacles, but the few see the objective. And David was able to see the objective. And it came with a reward. Now, I'm not saying that David killed Goliath for the reward only. I guarantee you that's not what it was all about. I truly believe that when when he showed up on that battlefield and heard, heard Goliath spewing threats and mocking God, it just drove him insane. Here he is spending time out in the fields worshiping and thinking about God and treasuring his word. And then he gets to the battlefield and he hears this garbage and it just absolutely offends him. Probably we looking around going, God, do you realize what this guy's saying? Why aren't we doing something about this? Aren't you at all bothered by this? And David's faith is what gave him the courage to do this. But it was the reward that was the incentive. All right. Look at verse 25. Here's the reward. Now the Israelites have been saying, do you see how this man keeps coming out? He comes out to defy Israel. The king will give great wealth to the man who who kills him. He will also give him his daughter in marriage and will exempt his family from taxes in Israel. Three things. Pretty sweet right there. That changed anybody's life right there. And here's what would happen. The, the, The Israelites would come out. They'd put on their armor. They'd go out onto the battlefield and Goliath would come out and he'd spew this garbage and this, all this junk and then they'd run off and hide every day. Verse 26 says, David asked for clarity. If you read verse 26, basically what he's saying here, let me get this straight here. What you're telling me? because I want to get my incentive straight here before I go and kill this guy. I get treasures, right? I get to tie the knot, and I get tax-free living. I like that. I I, I gave you here some alliterations. This is the the mind of, of Kurt, crazy little mind of Kurt. I sit around thinking of alliterations. So if you like alliterations, you can write these down. There's the three T's. I even got three R's. I get rich. I get royalty. I get tax relief. I came up with these all by myself. They help me remember. I'm sorry. They just help me to remember. And basically, what David was saying was, I just want to make sure I understand this. Before I go to battle, I want to know what's, what, what there is out there, Right? So David basically saw the potential and then he saw the problem. The army of Israel saw the problem and then the potential. All backwards. See the difference there? There's a major difference between the two. Look at at the observations here. The army saw Goliath But David saw God. The army saw the problem. And David saw the potential. In other words, David was able to see something that the army was unwilling to see. Now, did the army of Israel know about the rewards? They sure did. Of course they did. They're the ones that told him. And yet they were not willing to go out and fight the war. But they feared the giant more than they wanted the reward. Have you ever done that before? There's an obstacle in front of you, and you're not interested in battling it because you know that if it feels like too much even though you know what the reward will be. Oftentimes fear immobilizes us, no matter what the incentive is. We don't want to change, even though the change will be good for us. And what happens is bigger problems, little problems are connected to big problems. This happened to me in Portland when I was growing up. I was 14. Mom had already died. Dad was too sick to take care of me, and I was living in a mess. All right? My life was a mess in Portland. All right? I I was skipping school. I had no direction. I was not eating right. I was trying to run my life as a 14-year-old. It wasn't working. My cousins came from Salem, drove drove up to Portland to see me and deliver the news it was in your mom's will that you live with us i was like no thank you i don't want to i knew the incentive there was going to be three meals a day i was going to have new direction there was going to be a good environment new school things were going to be on the up and up but i didn't want to i was afraid of the unknown and I had a big problem, and that was Portland. And all the little problems were the things that I had just explained. And they said that they intentionally left, and they came back. I don't know how long it was. Maybe a couple of weeks or something. They left, allowed me to process this. And when they came back, I had decided to go, which really wasn't my decision. But I went, moved in. And when we conquered the big problem of getting out of Portland, it took care of the little problems. I didn't have to deal with those anymore. And a lot of times in our lives, there can be little problems, and we get frustrated by all these little problems. And a lot of times, they're just connected to a bigger problem. And if we just take care of the big problem, we won't have to worry about the little problems. Sometimes smaller problems are connected to bigger problems. But we put up with these little problems. We don't realize that, if we're, that they're connected to something bigger. And I have an example for that right here. My, when David said in verse 51... Or notice what it says in verse 51. The Philistines saw that their hero was dead. And they turned and ran. You see what's going on here? When when the giant fell, the Philistines fled. You take care of the big problem. And all the little problems took care of themselves. The Philistines were always a thorn in the flesh of the Israelites. Until David came along. And throughout his leadership, he had literally rendered the Philistines irrelevant. They weren't a problem anymore. And they enjoyed peace for the 40 years that David was the king. Now, let me give you one more example of seeing potential. Because it goes to Jesus, who prayed in the garden, take this cup from me. In other words, I don't want to go to the cross. And I don't blame him. Who would? But we read in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, it says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. I love that. Because Jesus shows us that the the reward outweighs the struggle. He knew what the cross would bring, salvation, heaven. And so he said the joy that was set before him, knowing what was going to come, allowed him to go to the cross. Thank God that Jesus had that connection. The joy that would follow was the motivation to endure the cross. Now, Paul writes about this in Romans. In verse eight or chapter 8, verse 18, he talks about how, he says, I reckon that the suffering of this present time is not worthy to be compared to the glory that shall be revealed unto me. In other words, I'm going through, what seems like hell here on earth. But there's something good coming. And this is not permanent. And I look forward to heaven. Do you get up in the morning and go, man, I don't have, this is not the end. There's something more to look forward to. And so how does David inspire you today? And I I just put down three things that I thought, Maybe you fall into one of these categories. I don't want to just encourage you this morning to to make a commitment. How does David inspire you? Maybe maybe it's his passion for God's word. And maybe you haven't been in the word the way you should be. Or maybe you've put it kind of on the back burner and, and you need to get back into that. If you go to the Bible app in today's message, you can find a couple reading plans about David that could help, you know, bring you back. I just put a couple reading plans of David in there for you. But maybe it's his passion for God's word. Maybe that inspires you today. Or maybe it's just getting back to the basics. You know, and focusing on the little things. Don't be discouraged. Because even the little things that you do make a difference. And a lot of times we, we're, it's drilled into us in our American culture that the only way that significance comes about is by doing something that is, seems significant. That's not the case. So you've got to get back to the basics and appreciate what God has, where God has you right now and live for him in the moment. Or... Or maybe just having the courage to overcome an obstacle. Maybe there's something in your path right now and you you haven't wanted to push it out of the way. You haven't wanted to go through it. Because it's too much. You know the reward. You know know what it can bring, but you just have have put it off. I want to encourage you this morning to fight the battle. Deal with it. And God's going to give you the ability to do that. I want to pray for us just for a moment. Let's pray. God, we come before you and we thank you for the life of David and what it means to us. Gosh, how you worked in his life and how it started in a field where he just fell in love with you, fell in love with your word. Lord, I pray that that would inspire me. Thank you for speaking to me about the life of David. There's just so much to know. But Lord, today, I want to make a difference. It starts with a commitment. It starts with taking a step. I pray you'd help me to be motivated to take that step. We walk in your footsteps every day. Thank you for this church, these amazing people. And, Lord, be with us as we go. Give us victories.